friends and family just get tired of hearing you talk about like forever chemicals and like things that are going to ruin the environment or possibly cause, you know, health damage, they get sick and tired of hearing it from you? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. I think the I think the common phrase is, oh, God, what's the next thing? What's the next thing we're not going to be able to use or what's going to be the next problem? Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to ask you because that's what I get. You know, I've I've been going down this rabbit hole for about 12 months of, you know, microplastics and toxic chemicals. And I actually work in a chemical environment. Uh, I work for a, a large chemical manufacturer and where I work, I make plastics. My company makes plastics. And, um, so the more I've been learning about this stuff, the, you know, every time I bring it up, my family just gets sick of me hearing and they, they don't want to hear it anymore. So it's like, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, how come we don't need a cook in this, John? Like, isn't this? So anyway, I was curious, like, how do you navigate those conversations? Or do you even bring it up anymore? Uh, no, I do. I do. I can't, <laughs> I can't not. I think, I think it's such a, yeah, such a big problem. It's difficult, especially when you're reading about it and listening to it all the time. It's really difficult to, to not talk about it all the time as well. But uh, quite often I just, I don't know. I always think, it's not really down to the individual to change too much. I sort of feel like a lot of the blame is with like the big industry and the the governments and things like that. I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that makes people feel a bit better that I'm not, I'm not saying it's their fault. It's not, it's not anybody, any individual's fault. It's, uh, it's the fact that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be being exposed to these chemicals. Yeah. So how long have you been studying, uh, or I guess, what is your actual field of study? Well, I my my background is all chemistry. Um, so I did a bachelor's degree, master's degree, and I did my PhD all in chemistry in the UK. Um, and then I started at the Marine Conservation Society in 2019. And even being a chemist, the first time I heard of these forever chemicals was when I started at the Marine Conservation Society. I'd not really heard anything about them in like my chemistry world. I'd uh, I'd only ever heard about them when I started in a more environmental job. Um, so yeah, I've my background is more like traditionally chemistry. Um, but then yeah, the last few years it's just been working on on these forever chemicals, these PFAS. Okay, and how long have you been at the Marine Conservation Society? Uh, I started in 2019, so yeah, like three and a three and a bit years, three oh, and a half years. Wow! Well, you hit the ground running because you're you're you've been quoted in a lot of uh, news articles. I think I think it I timed it quite well because I feel like it's it's kind of coming into the public realm a little bit more, um, especially this year. It seems to have massively taken off in the last kind of six months or so. Um, but I think it's kind of yeah, it's. But both have gone in hand in hand with each other. The uh, it's become more of a spoken about topic, and then, um, yeah, obviously, not many people work on it in terms of a environmental. Yeah, sense. yeah, no, that's a good point. When you were studying, uh, you know, chemistry and, and and chemicals and and you know, getting your education, did you think that you were going to spend time educating the public about these toxic chemicals? No, I thought I'd be locked away in a lab. <laughs> rest of my life I uh, yeah I mean I've always loved the environment that was like my other kind of main passion other than chemistry was always I've I've been a scuba diver since I was like 12 years old and I've always loved the environment and, and the ocean um, and then 
when I saw that I could link the two up and use my like chemist's brain, but to help the environment, I just, yeah, I had to do it. <laughs> That's so inspirational. Like, so at a young age, you just realize like I, this, this environment, whatever the environment is, this means a lot to me. You just knew that right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I don't think when I was a kid, like plastics weren't really an issue. Yeah. You know, greenhouse gases were kind of spoken about, but it wasn't like a big, it wasn't, a big thing really to kind of look after the environment um and then i actually i wrote a book when i was um when i was a kid just for myself just in a sort oh. of little diary but about the about the sea and about all the animals there and about how ships should slow down so that they didn't they didn't harm wildlife and uh yeah so i've always had a bit of a sort of i don't know bit of an advocates kind of yeah. role in my life no that's so cool i didn't think that way when i was little i was just like probably eat my boogers or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just, my, my brain didn't get, uh, I guess, uh, become that interested into the environment until a couple of years ago. So that I'm always fascinated because I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of, um, researchers lately and they have a similar story where like, Oh, I just knew, you know, you know, this meant a lot to me and I wanted to do it for this reasons. And then it's just interesting to, uh, to see what piques, uh, people's curiosity. Would you say that, um, that our oceans are are probably the area that gets impacted the most in our environment when it comes to toxic. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I don't know. I think it depends. It depends what kind of pollution and the source of the pollution, I guess, because obviously you know rivers and and other waterways are horrendously affected by some pollution. Um, in some cases, even more so than the ocean. Um, I think. I think the thing with the ocean is it's sort of like the final sink of pollution. So all rivers lead to the ocean and that that's where it's all ending up in the end. Um, so I think that's the thing that makes them quite badly affected is it that's where everything's kind of going eventually. No, that's interesting. I'm apologize. I'm trying to turn off my phone here that way. There's a, some <laughs> drama going on in my, my family with my daughter at school and yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway. That's okay. Yeah, so these uh, chemicals, I guess the the final destination, no matter where we use them, are always going to be in the ocean, or in in the waterway of some sort. If we yeah, if we continue to emit them and we continue to sort of dispose of them or whatever else, I think yeah, that's that's the generally uh, that's generally the issue. Um, although there were, I saw some research um, recently that said these PFAS, these forever chemicals, they're actually being concentrated in sea spray and then being transported back to land. Mm. So they're actually they're sort of like increasing the effect on land because they're they're concentrating all the chemicals back rather than just kind of going to the deep ocean or or whatever. Wow. That's interesting. Is in your experience and in all of your research, what which country is kind of the, uh, the most pollutant, I guess, uh, causing the most harm to our environment? Um, I don't know, really. I mean, a lot of my work is focused very much on kind of the UK. And then I do a little bit of looking at the EU and looking at sort of Europe and that area. Um, and then I have spoken to a few people from the US. But again, as it kind of gets further and further away from the UK, I, I don't have as much involvement. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not too sure about who's the worst polluter, but uh I think the problem is it's it can spread these chemicals can spread all around the world and they oh. are spread all around the world 
that it's everybody's problem even if it's even if it is only one country that's doing the polluting it uh yeah they're spreading everywhere well that's yeah so that's what something i always think about it seems you know just as an outsider looking in it seems like the uk and the eu they do a lot of uh of upfront work, like keeping, you know, banning chemicals. It's kind of what it seems like is that companies have to prove their chemicals are not toxic before going to market. And in the U S it's kind of opposite. They just go to market and if something happens, then they, they ban it. So from an outsider looking in, it seems like the EU and the UK are leading the pack when it comes to protecting human health and the environment. I don't know if that's something that you kind of see too. Um, the EU definitely they um, you know far far further ahead um, and obviously with with brexit we've now kind of left and we're in charge of our own chemicals laws now um, and with the I mean the EU I think it was a couple of weeks ago um, submitted or five European countries submitted a proposal to ban all PFAS mm. um, so they are you know they're really taking it a lot further um, the US is um, Obviously, it's more. I, I don't know the in, inner workings of the uh, the US <laughs> system, but I know a few US states have d- put in place or are putting in place some big bans, um, and they are they're going further than the UK as well. I think Maine and Vermont and a few others um, yeah. are, are really pushing them pushing the bans forward. Yeah, there's a lot of, and it's probably just because my Google newsfeed is being curated because I've been looking at. PFAS and like toxic chemicals and microplastic stuff. But it seems like California and really the northern states um, are really taking charge because they're testing their waters more and they're finding these toxic chemicals in them. Um, So there is, yeah, I guess from the U.S. perspective, there are single states. But it, I mean, I don't know anything about legislation or anything like that. But I'd imagine in order to make an impact, it would have to come from federal regulation. And then each uh, country would have to ban up together and have similar laws because if you know us is doing one thing or you know and they allow one chemical but the eu is doing something else and we're really not going to get anywhere that's what it seems like right yeah definitely i think i think we are we are heading in the direction of stopping using these chemicals i think i think a lot of industries can see that the writing is on the wall for a lot of them but it's just how long it takes until we get there because all the time we're sort of adding more and more pfas to environment to our bodies to wildlife and it yeah the we've got this huge burden of persistent pollution that's not going anywhere for for generations so what was kind of the defining moment when you realized that these chemicals were were causing harm was there like an aha moment when you're like crap i need to do something about this um, I mean, as soon as I found out about them, it just seemed like a terrible thing to have something, you know, we've all seen it with plastic. You you can see the plastic stick around for decades. But then when you've got something that's invisible, that's sticking around for just as long, I thought, yeah, that that cannot be a good, that cannot be a good thing. Um, but then I heard one, I, I remember hearing one fact or stat about how every drop of rainwater on earth contains PFAS. And it's some, and it would be considered unsafe to drink in some countries, um, in, including, in fact, the U.S. Um, drinking level standards for PFAS are lower than what it's found in rainwater in some places. And I, when I found that out, I just, I, yeah, I was, I was completely dumbfounded. Is that true? Like, 
Yeah. How's that happen? And, just from chemical plants or it gets evaporated and then just comes back down? How's that work? I think, I mean, it, it's used in so many different, they're used in so many different things, so many different products, industries, and they at all kind of stages of their manufacture or use, they can get into the environment, you know, even right down to when you throw out your nonstick pan at the end of its life, that it's still got PFAS on it that then end up in landfill and leach out into the water. And then obviously all the water's constantly being recycled. And yeah, it's, it, I think it's one of those things that's not got a sort of singular point at which you can pinpoint the problem. It's just because they are so widespread and used in so many things, they, um, they just end up in the environment and in us. And yeah. That's that's scary because do you think of, you know, the little pictures and the videos of kids like looking up and having their tongues out, drinking rainwater, and you would I always assumed that that was the cleanest source of water. I never heard that before. I know. It's, it, that's, I, that, I always think that as well. It's You imagine that, yeah, you couldn't get any fresher than drinking <laughs> water from the sky, but uh, yeah, when it's contaminated with man-made chemicals, it's uh, quite scary. Yeah, so... You know, PFAS is a is a really amb- ambiguous term. What does that mean? What does what do PFAS mean? And and what are some uh, household items that we use every day that these chemicals are in? So it's it's an acronym. So it stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl su- uh, substances. Um, but they're basically it's just basically a massive family of chemicals. I think the most recent sort of number of members of this family is up in the region of sort of ten, twelve thousand. Um, but they're a huge, huge family of chemicals that are all very similar. Um, and they are used in everything from, they're really good at being water resistant and grease resistant. Um, so they're used as waterproof, as a coating on waterproof clothing. They're used in, uh, Teflon pans, uh, pizza boxes. Um, they're used in firefighting foam, electronics. They honestly, the list is just massive. Uh, stain resistant coatings on mm. sofas and clothing and it yeah the it is a huge list of products wow every and literally everything we use every single day yeah pr- pretty much i think well, it's probably easier to ask what doesn't what couldn't have PFAS <laughs> in than what could have PFAS <laughs> in. is it is it because they're they're cheap to make or is it because they're really superior when it comes to you know their use I always say that as a chemist, they are like a spectacular invention. You know, they what a what an amazing chemical to find something that is completely unreactive to anything. You know, they're heat resistant, flame resistant, water resistant. They don't get broken down by anything, which is amazing in one sense. And it is what makes them be able to be used in all those different products. But then that's also where their problems come in because because they can't be broken down, they end up sticking around forever in the environment wow dang that's uh that's that's crazy to think about that we've manufactured something that that never breaks down is there any way to recycle these is there anything being in uh that you know from an innovation standpoint that's been created that can actually uh you know keep these from entering our environment so the only way to well i'll i'll to talk a little bit about some uh, more recent research, but uh, overall, the only way to fully get rid of them is incineration. So heating them to a thousand degrees centigrade um, 
but obviously then you have issues with how you're going to capture the air pollution yeah. from that and that that comes with all its own problems and um, there has been some very very recent research um to suggest that you could break the bonds in the PFAS in a much more environmentally friendly way um so that I think there will be innovation eventually that allows that to happen I think the problem is like I said it's in rainwater all over the earth it's everywhere on earth from the north pole to the south pole um and we can't collect that pollution to destroy it um so yeah it's it it's impossible to get rid of probably what's already there um and then we just kind of need to make sure that we stop adding to it is there a way to kind of sequester that like similarly to how like sustainable agriculture you know can sequester carbon it, it is is that the only thing that the soil can sequester as carbon or it, it, does that inv- in, uh, involve all the other toxic chemicals too? Um, I don't really, I, I mean, I'd imagine, so their nature is they, they, they are, they are very mobile in water. So they, mm. that's what makes them quite dangerous in one sense, because they are able to move very easily and they're not, they are captured by um, like muscle tissue in animals and things like that. But they're not they are very easily able to move around um i don't i don't know of any research actually that's looked into sort of sequestration or anything like that um but again comes the problem how do you then destroy it um, yeah if it is sequestered yeah no it's uh, and even saying that i was kind of thinking through well it, then it would be grown in the food because I've, I've read some articles like that too where microplastics have been found in not just on the fruit or in the food or the vegetables, but actually inside of them. So they, they've been growing inside, which is crazy to think about because you think, you, oh, I'll go to an organic you know, farmer's market and I can eat organic food you know, close to the farm, but it still is laced with microplastics. Yeah. It's very daunting. Yeah. It's very daunting to think about. Like, it's kind of, I don't know, my brain, I, I, th- it's, I always think about like, well, we're doomed, you know? Is that kind of what you feel like too? Or you have hope? Yeah. Um, I do get really, I do get really terrified sometimes and it does feel, and especially when you're sort of arguing against, um, companies or against governments or, you know, and they, and there isn't, there isn't like a sort of agreement of what needs to happen. Uh, I think that is really scary. Um, I do have hope. I do think enough people now are aware of it and it is just growing in awareness, definitely. Um, and I think there is a bit of a change of like there's sort of a realization of the issue with persistent chemicals and things that last forever that shouldn't be in the environment. I think there is more of a realization about that. And yeah, it's just a shame that obviously we've, we've had to, especially in the U S I mean, I know there's a lot more sort of the various kind of court cases and things like that, that are going on with, with people with horrendous health problems from, Mm from these chemicals um it's a shame it has to get to that point for something to actually happen no absolutely yeah i i guess i can get gloom and doom all day long thinking about it but for people that don't know how do these chemicals impact the animals that absorb them is there hard evidence from a scientific standpoint of how these chemicals are are impacting the animals 
so there, there are there is some there is plenty of research going on at the moment um like i said the group is so huge of these people you know, thousands and thousands of them there isn't there isn't evidence for each individual chemical um but some i mean some impacts there was a study done in the uk um a couple of years ago that showed every so they, they basically went around and any otter that they found dead um you know through natural causes or through road kill or something like that they tested them for PFAS and all of them had PFAS in their blood. Um, and that's not to say that the PFAS killed them, but it just shows how widespread it is. And I always I always use the sort of analogy, I guess, of wh when we talk about persistent chemicals, it's the persistent, it's the fact that they last forever that's the real problem. Because as we add more and more and more into the environment or into animals, we are moving closer to a point where harm is caused. And I always say that um, like everything's toxic at a certain level. Um, so, for example, chocolate, even chocolate's toxic. If you eat enough of it, I think it's like a kilogram or something of chocolate is toxic to humans. But as you, you, you will get there, you will get to a point where the toxic effect is, occurs. Um, so with persistent chemicals, with things like PFAS, the more we use them and the more we emit them to the environment, the closer we're getting to a point where harm will occur we might not even know what that harm is it's like the like the cfc example with the the chlorofluorocarbons in the refrigerators and nobody could have predicted that they would cause an, a hole in the ozone layer that just that was just an effect that no one could even have forethought at all and then yeah that's what happened um and there's something similar could happen with pfas an effect that we just have no idea that could even happen could could potentially be on the cards yeah you know when i i'm listening to you talk i i'm reminded of some conversations that i've had with some regenerative farmers and in those discussions i've asked you know you know how do we move away from factory farming and and really adopt regenerative agriculture and get people to support that and i've always thought that we need some type of government regulation and we do and that's you know same thing could be applied to the chemicals but they've all said that consumers have the power. And if consumers shift the way they think and where they shop, then the legislation will follow, which I never really thought about it that way. And I kind of can, I feel like this can be applied here. If, you know, the consumers thought about things that they buy and, and, and purchase things from more of a sustainability effort or a sustainability standpoint, then the chemical companies by themselves would have to shift. But I don't know how to, it's so easy to go buy the sunscreen that has, it's a cheaper, if you go buy something that's, I don't know, eco-friendly, typically costs a lot more. And, you know, my family, when I when I talk about, you know, I don't want to cook in nonstick pans or whatever, they have a, the, the the common response is, oh, we've been doing this for our whole lives. Like we're, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like that's the common response. So it's, I don't know, maybe the newer generation, like the younger generation will come and make changes, but I, I don't know how to shift the consumer perspective on those. Yeah, it is a, it is a difficult one. And I, I've always, I always say, I, I personally don't think the onus should be on the consumer with this one. I think mm. it is nigh on impossible to work out where, you know, you can do the Teflon pan thing and you can, you can sort of get rid of individual uses of PFAS, but I think they are so widespread and used in so many things that aren't labeled at all. You know, I was 
I started looking the other day about cleaning products to see which would would or could have PFAS in. And even as a chemist, I, I can't work that out. I I don't have an ingredients list. I don't I don't know. I can't I can't work it out. And and I thought we shouldn't as consumers, we shouldn't be in a position where we're trying to work out whether our products have harmful chemicals in them that could stay in us forever. And I, I just sort of I feel the bit that consumers can really do is, you know, really make a stand and say, this isn't right. We we shouldn't be being exposed to these chemicals. The environment shouldn't be being exposed to these chemicals. We, you know, we're effectively being used as a living laboratory for all these chemicals. And it that shouldn't that shouldn't be how the world works. Um we we had a petition running, it was specifically for the UK, um, but calling for a ban on on these chemicals. And I think we I think the last time I checked we had seventeen thousand signatures on it. Hmm. And I think I, I used I said it's like having an army of seventeen thousand people behind me when I go into meetings with politicians or with industry or anything like that. It's like having seventeen thousand supporters saying, Yes, we we agree with what you're saying and it doesn't matter if the one person across the desk disagrees because you've got you know the voice of the public behind you. Does that help whenever you're talking to these, uh, you know, the politicians and the legislatures that you've had, um, you know, support from the general public like this? Does it do they really care about this or is it all about the bottom line and how much money they can make? I think where where the power comes with that is the fact that if if enough people say enough's enough, they have to listen. You can't you can't just keep ignoring and I, I sort of feel like I don't know if it's the same over in the states but we went through a phase over here where everything all cosmetics were labeled with phthalate free or SLS free or sulfate and I think the only reason that they're labeled like that is because it became a topic of conversation and it became an issue among the general public and that's sort of what I want to happen with PFAS that once people start getting outraged about it and saying this isn't right I don't want my children's raincoats to be covered in PFAS, then companies will have to act. And then hopefully, yeah, governments will act as well. Um, when it comes to like PFAS in, um, in clothing, <laughs> I was laughing in a conversation that I had with somebody else. I, I think like the only safe thing to wear is like cotton and wool. So I was like, can you imagine us like just walking around in cotton and wool? Like that's the only, because it's the only thing that's really safe. You're like, <laughs> yeah. that'd be kind of funny right our our uh our fashion would just tank right oh yeah yeah be a bit different uh has there been any concrete studies um to see how these chemicals are impacting uh humans like um, I, like and, and i and i know like there's been urine samples of things that uh you know like microplastics can be found in the human body i know we've seen reports like that but like has there like do we know really how these chemicals impact the human body um so i i don't work as much on on human health obviously i end up reading a lot of stuff about it any you know just through the nature of my job um but i know so i don't know if um you saw the film dark waters yes um yeah so Too many that's times. all based <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's all based off of um one of the pfas chemicals it's now banned uh, pretty much worldwide i think um but 
that you know it was oh some awful illness ulcerative colitis and thyroid diseases and cancer you know really really real nasty diseases um all linked to exposure to these chemicals and sort of yeah some horrendous stories in that film obviously of the um of the babies that were born from workers that worked on these chemical plants and yeah or really horrible stories um but again there's not the there's not the proof for each individual chemical but i think the way we look at it is they're very very similar they may not all act exactly the same but if one chemical in the group is showing such horrific sort of toxicities it's likely that the others are, are going to be similar yeah and i also read too that these chemical manufacturers like BPA, for example, I didn't realize there's like, and I'm going to butcher all this. I don't know them by heart, but I think there's like, there's BPA, which is obviously a really bad one, but I think there's like BPS two or something like that. There's BP, whatever. Right. And a lot of these companies will, once the light is shined on that chemical, they replace it with something else that's equally as toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> I know it, it makes you want to scream. Doesn't it? I don't know so, how it's possible. Like I, it doesn't, I, know. I don't like if I was, um, if I was starting a company, you know, selling something and and it, if it was deemed to be toxic, I imagine I'd be shut down pretty quick. But these companies are so large and they often have so much power that it's kind of unstoppable, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it is it is very complex. And I don't I sort of I don't want to make it out like it's really simple to just stop using these chemicals. And I do. Yeah. I think we we can't just stop using them tomorrow. That's not it's not possible. What is possible is stopping using them in the uses that are completely frivolous, completely like unnecessary to to our society. Um, but that that BPA example, they they do they do the same with PFAS. They you know they ban a couple of them, but just replace them with new ones. And at the speed we're going, I saw a stat the other day that said at the speed we're going at regulating individual PFAS chemicals, we'd be here for like the next million years or something oh, <laughs> trying to still ban the others. Gosh, that's sickening. Do you get much support? Um, well, you, your organization, do y'all get support from, uh, you know, chemical companies? Do y'all work closely with them and try to come up with innovative solutions? Not really. My work, so I, I'm a, a policy and advocacy manager, so I work primarily on the policy side, so working with sort of governments and, and our kind of environmental regulators and things like that to um, to try and work towards policy options. Um, we do we do have meetings with industry, but more more downstream users of the chemicals and less less the actual chemical producers themselves mm. I, I mean are they involved in 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 those discussions at all though i mean i imagine uh having them involved in kind of upfront and the upfront discussions would would be beneficial yeah no definitely they, they have lots of meetings with with government themselves you know there's mm. a lot of sort of cross cross um industry cool. and cross organizational working um that's carried out mm. I heard of a treaty, like a global treaty in the UN to end, I don't know if it's necessarily PFAS or more, is it, was it microplastics? Like it's every country in the UN, there's like a global um, treaty now. Is this the Stockholm Convention or is <sighs> that, freak. that's more on like persistent organic pollutes, so things like uh, polychlorinated biphenols are 
banned through that treaty uh, through that like convention treaty and that's a sort of yeah yeah. UN wide wide thing. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, that would be brilliant if people, <laughs> if all PFAS could be included in that. That would be brilliant. Well, it, it kind of made me chuckle because they set this aggressive target of I think it was 2024 to have a solution to ban. I want to say it was microplastics. Maybe it was just specific microplastics, but I know it was a UN treaty, and it made me chuckle because I can imagine some of these meat, and I know chemical companies were involved too. Um, you know, the manufacturers were involved in this treaty, but it made me you know, laugh because, like I said, I work in corporate America and I go to these big meetings, too, that we're going to have an aggressive project and nothing ever gets solved at all. So I, it makes me laugh. I'm like, I can imagine what the meeting's like with, every, you know, different countries and all these manufacturers. And, and we're like, yeah, we're going to do this and nothing really ever gets solved. Like it's just a yeah. just a talking head, I guess, meeting. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, again, it's going back to what I said a minute ago, but it is a difficult thing, you know, you've got, on one hand, you've got economies and, and that all that side of thing. And then on the other hand, you've got human health and, and environment, you know, and they're both such huge areas of concern, um, especially at the moment, you know, it, it, I I do recognise how difficult the world is at the moment, in, you know, just in, in general. Um but I think the worst thing is that, not, like you said, nothing is happening, and it it's sort of everything just is like kind of stagnates, and it you know nothing nothing changes. And I think, yeah, I don't know. It is a, it is a complex one, definitely, and there is a lot of there is a lot of things to think about. Um, you you can't just you can't just say oh ban them all right now. You know there are mm. I think PFAS are used in things like heart stents and catheters and things you know things that are essential for for us but then they're also used in pizza boxes and takeaway <laughs> containers and it's like that's not essential at all <laughs> yeah i mean is there i tend to always i'm kind of a, a glass half full kind of guy so i always like focus on the bad stuff but is there any good news that has happened recently with pifas um i think the best news um again this is very much like europe central i don't you know yeah, yeah. i think a lot yeah. of stuff is happening in the us as well but this proposal that's been submitted i mean um it's yet well hopefully next week we'll get sight of it um but it's um hopefully going to be um a very good proposal to restrict all pfas from all uses hopefully um in the eu so uh, but yeah i'm yet to actually see it so <laughs> so how would that actually work out would there be like a, a you know a, a plan put in place for by i don't know 2030 we need to end it i i'm not sure i'm okay. not sure to be honest i i think I, i'd imagine it will take longer um but again i think it i think the good news is that it's things like this are starting to be suggested and i was i was having a look at some u.s laws the other day and it you know again by 2030 and i think I think it was New York and Maine and Vermont, a few others, you know, they're saying to stop using PFAS and they're already saying PFAS shouldn't be in cosmetics, PFAS shouldn't be in food packaging. And and there's lots of like individual action, which I think kind of is promising because it shows that we're moving in the right direction where we're starting to look at it as a, a whole group of chemicals, not let's ban the next one or the next, you know, it's we're looking at it as right, let's stop doing it one by one. Let, this is going to take far too long to ban it chemical by chemical. We'll look at the whole group. And I think it's changes like that that are promising in in my eyes, even if they seem very kind of small at the moment. I think it, it we're moving in the right direction. 
is the cosmetic industry the largest consumer of these chemicals? Um, I I really don't know. I did. There was a paper came uh, that came out a research paper that came out a few years ago that kind of showed all the different industries. And I think I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think I don't think cosmetics was top. I think there's you know there's lots of it. It's used in a lot of electronics and oh, yeah. it's used in a lot of cars. And yeah, I think I think there's there's some huge industries that use that use the these chemicals. My daughter was going through a, a breakout. A couple of weeks ago, I guess it's been a couple of months ago, and I, I told her to bring what she was using down. And we looked at the back of the ingredient list, and a lot of the chemicals or some of the chemicals that were in this face wash we make at the company uh, at the at the company I work at. And in order to handle some of these chemicals, you the workers have to wear PPE like gloves and like face mask and all this stuff, and that's. What real? I feel like there's always a new discovery that happens like once a month, and I'm like, holy shit! Like this is crazy. And at that point, I was like, wow! Like the workers are required to wear these gloves in order to handle this chemical, and then but you, this little 14 year old girl, can just rub it on her face. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah, you know? no, yeah, I know it is. I think what always shocks me is sometimes I look at the back of a cosmetics bottle. I can't even pronounce half of what's in, in the bottle, even as a chemist. <laughs> so I'm curious in your daily life, what are some of the things that you do to avoid some of these toxins? I So again, I always sort of feel like it's not down to me. It's like I said, it's, it's in our drinking water. It's in the food we eat. It's It's impossible to avoid it. However... I just for my own interest, I started trying to see what alternatives were like. So I've always had Teflon pans and it was just sort of one of those things that I'd just been brought up. You know, that's always what you buy. It's a lot easier to cook in a nonstick pan. And and then just recently I needed to get a new one. And I thought, well, I'll try try a stainless steel one, see what it's like. And I think it's fine, to be honest, (laughs) but uh, you need a bit more oil. But other than that, it's not too bad. Um, But I... Yeah, I really do try to not, I, I I think it's important as well to not put pressure on myself or or other people to to change just because it, I think it can get a bit, I don't know, it just, it can get a bit much sometimes. Yeah. It's a bit overwhelming when, yeah, you remove it from a couple of things and then you think, well, I'm, I'm still drinking it. I'm still, you know, I'm still wearing it. I can't, it, yeah, I think it's such a big complex topic. And it it can be a bit too overwhelming, I think. So um, yeah, unfortunately, sorry, it's no, probably you're not being, me. You're it's being not too me. nice, Francesca. You're being too <laughs> nice. You know, we we just transitioned away from nonstick pans uh, recently, and the first time we cooked in them was awful. I was like, okay, maybe we should go back to like we still had the nonstick pans in the corner. We hadn't thrown them out yet. We we're like, okay, maybe we should go back because it was just the eggs were like sticking into it. There's like an art to cook to stainless steel, and we didn't realize that. Yeah, no, definitely. You don't want half your meal still left at the bottom of your pan. <laughs> so, so what are some other things that um, your organization is working on? I mean, we, we work on all sorts. Um, so it's all areas of marine conservation um, from, you know, we have a big fisheries team, a big um, marine protected areas group working on on those sorts of things. And then uh, my team is, we're called the Clean Seas team, but we do all areas of pollution um, so we do plastic, microplastics, microfibers, um, sewage pollution, and and then obviously I do a lot of the chemical stuff. Um, and then we we do a lot of work 
just generally looking at you know what the ways pollution get into the ocean and 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 how how to stop it and how to you know what's the best way to prevent that that's the main that's our main sort of goal is prevent pollution stop it source turn off the tap stop the pollution getting there in the first place um with with all with all of our work really and and the things that you're seeing are plastics a larger concern in our oceans or the chemicals um i think plastics are more widely researched definitely um i think chemicals it's is starting to become more of a topic i think again it's it's the it's the band, the legacy chemicals like PCBs and things like that that are that kind of have the most research done on them in terms of chemicals. Um, but the 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 research that's done on microplastics and is is humongous. So it, you know you have a lot more information there to go at. Um, and I think the the chemical pollution topic is still very much in its like infancy, I guess. Mm. And it's where every it is becoming a lot why more research as as the days tick on um but i think just pollution overall i mean i think the um that planetary boundaries model that you have with the the climate change and ocean acidification and all those different cool bits of the the pie chart um novel entities they call it now but mm. it's all the plastic and chemical man-made pollution and that is like well outside the safe operating space, um, even more so compared to climate change. So it's it's like an issue that's on par with climate change, and it's mm. just it's just not spoken. Plastic pollution is spoken about quite a lot, but chemical pollution really isn't. Yeah, is that just because we can see the plastic? Like people can see the plastic, and we actually can't see these chemicals in the water. I think so. I think I think as well. Like you know, if you. I, if you say pollution, the first thing that springs to mind is like, you know, plastic or sewage or an oil slick in the North Sea, you know, <laughs> all those sorts of things or fluorescent toxic waste. But I don't think I don't think you think of these like invisible, seemingly harmless chemicals, you know, they're chemicals that are in your products. I don't think you'd think of your raincoat containing some harmful chemicals. It's just not. It's just not something most people consider, I don't think. Even as a chemist, I didn't consider it. So <laughs> Yeah. I, I was watching a YouTube video on on your website and I think you were saying something to the effect of like killer whales being almost pushed to extinction because of is it directly related to these chemicals? So that's this is related to PCBs. Um, so th these are chemicals that are really old industrial chemicals that were banned pretty much worldwide in the 80s, I think. Um, but they've accumulated again, really persistent. So they just stick around. They're not disappearing anywhere. And they're accumulating in killer whales. And the killer whale population off of the coast of the UK is there hasn't had a calf in 20 odd years. And it's just tending towards complete extinction you know it's if they can't have a calf that's it that's the end of the population and i think that's the way it's going and there's nothing that can be done about it because they've banned the chemicals but it's it's too late <laughs> we so, can't so not a single calf there's not a baby swimming around anywhere no not in i think it's 20 20 23 24 years or something like that in, oh, the, in the, specifically for the uk um but wow. yeah and there's I mean, there's there's other stories of um, seal pups um, up in Scotland being born pre-polluted with 
these these PCBs again, these um, these old legacy chemicals. So they're they're polluted before they're even born. Mm. <laughs> Have you yeah. read any of Dr. Shana Swan's work? Yes, she's yeah. a, she's amazing. She's, she she's my idol. Is she really? <laughs> Yeah. I, I, so she's the, actually, I just had her on the podcast, um, a couple of weeks ago and I told her, I was like, if there was a little while there where my wife was a little concerned, she was like, who's this, who's this Shana lady? And why are you, is she making you throw away all your pots and pans? Cause she was like, <laughs> I was like, well, cause Shana, Dr. Swan wants me like, like, anyway. So she was saying that these chemicals can impact uh, ch- children even before they're born, like they impact their sex organs, their their brain makeup. So if we're, if it can do that to humans, I imagine it's doing that to the sea life as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, harbor porpoises and like I said, seals. The 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 chemicals can pass the placental um le- the membrane placental membrane, and they can um they're in breast milk as well. So mm. they're you know the all these. Uh, marine mammals are being fed chemical pollutants through their they you know, don't they don't stand a chance of, yeah. uh, of not being not being polluted francesca you're going to age too early uh <laughs> worrying about all this stuff do you, you can you see can you see the grays <laughs> <laughs> what do you do for fun like what do you do to, to relax a little bit um i I don't know. I do. I do. I like. I do, I like being outdoors. I have. I love. I was going to say scuba diving, but I've not actually been diving for mm. quite a few years now, pre-COVID, so uh, quite a while. Um, but just just being outdoors. I live in the Cotswolds, so I I'm blessed with some beautiful countryside around here. Uh, I, I was uh, I was imagining your your answer to be like, well, I don't go swimming because of the the toxic chemical. <laughs> just stay in your bubble. <laughs> Yeah. No, unfortunately, I don't even live that close to the sea. Well, in English terms, I don't live that close to the sea. Mm. I'm sure a lot of Americans would think I was mad because I'm only about two hours away. But uh... Uh, uh, do you plan on working any on on authoring a book or or doing anything like that? I'd love to write a book. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> well, I imagine like you being involved in in these news articles and media outlets reaching out to you i imagine it's kind of like shifted the way you think a little bit right yeah no definitely i do really like i really like the public outreach side of things i think because i you get a really good reception i think even though people are scared and i'm probably ruined your friday but uh, <laughs> it's uh it's uh it's nice to have the reception that people you know people are outraged but then they're glad that you're doing the work that you are doing so it's uh yeah, there there is a book. Um, so there's an author in 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 the UK called Anna Turns, and she's written a book all about chemical pollution in your home and I can't remember what it's called now. But it's that I think that's really good because it's it really puts it to the forefront of like this is a problem, and it's not just all about plastics; it's about chemicals as well. Yeah, I have to check that book out. If people, ordinary people in the public, want to get involved with your organization. Other than going to the website, is there, I mean, how, can they follow you? What are some ways that people can get involved? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just we've got a petition running at the moment for the, um, it's called Stop Ocean Poison. So it's all about, you know, stopping chemical pollution. And that is specific to the UK, but just share it online, share it on Twitter. Um, the Marine Conservation Society are quite active on Twitter. I'm somewhat active on Twitter. I try to be I try to be more active than I am. You don't I have am, time but, for that. Uh, <laughs> you don't have time for that. <laughs> but just 
yeah, tell people, tell your family, tell friends, tell just talk about PFAS and the problems in the in the sea. And yeah, I think the more people we can get talking about it, the uh, the the better it will be. The more power we will have. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Francesca, I'll let you get back to your Friday. I greatly appreciate your time today, and it's been a fun learning, and I enjoy talking about this stuff. I always learn something new, um, and I think the work you're doing is very important, so thank you. No, thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's, I always like talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you have a good uh, a good day, and um, I'll send you an email when, when, when this one's done and wrapped up and, and posted, so thank you. Brilliant. No, thank right. you. I appreciate See you. you. Later. Have a good one. Bye.